Welcome to the Durand and Associates podcast, Insurance Banter. In each one of our episodes, you'll experience insightful discussions about important topics that you can turn around and implement into your business to become a more effective insurance professional. And today, Chris and I are joined by Jeff Albright from the Louisiana Big Eye. Jeff, welcome, and thanks for being here. Good morning. My pleasure. We've got a whole bunch of... Uh, stuff going on in the insurance industry, and and Louisiana seems to be ground zero for a lot of that. But if you can kind of introduce yourself and tell tell folks about your career. Sure. So I've been an independent insurance agent for 43 years. Uh, I started off as a producer and then took over management of an agency. And um, about six or seven years into my career, the association approached me to come to work for the association as the education director. Uh, I was fortunate enough to teach insurance at LSU for about four or five years. And uh, when they got wind of that, they thought I'd be uh, someone that could help agents uh, learn what they needed to know and train agency staff. So I came to the association's education director and about six or seven years after I came, my predecessor retired and um, they interviewed me and I became the CEO and I've been doing that since uh, 1996. Very impressive. And a lot of change since 1996, since you took the helm, for sure. Um, no doubt. So as you're looking at it, and Chris, I know you're very familiar and do a lot of work in Louisiana as well. How have insurance company operations changed, and especially with their relationships to independent agents over, over your career, Jeff? I mean, that's... Yeah, I think speaking to that globally, not just in Louisiana, but countrywide, um, insurance companies, in my view, have um, diminished their ability to do business in many ways in the name of profitability and price competition and efficiency. They continue to cut their operations more and more and more and rely on technology as a replacement for uh, underwriting and claims processing and a lot of the functions that uh, companies have historically done. And that has put a real burden on independent insurance agents. Um, you know, I don't want to sound like, well, back in the good old days, but back in the good old days, there were a lot more local uh, underwriting and claims offices throughout the country. And insurance companies have consolidated those into a handful of regional offices. And so you don't have underwriters that have any real understanding of the local areas where they're underwriting. Um, you don't have the capacity of staff that you used to have. More and more, it's box underwriting by computer. If it fits the box, the computer spits out a quote and a policy. And if it doesn't fit the box, they're not interested in even looking at an account. And from a producer standpoint, that's a tough place to be. Very much so. And I mean, Chris, what do you see? And I know that in in our agency, a lot of the older producers with what's going on, you know, there's some tension between them and the and the staff at times where they would think, oh, we could just get this done. Why don't you just call somebody? Uh, that's how it's worked for my career. What do you mean it's not working? Yeah. First of all, I want to jump back just a little bit and tell the audience that I've known Jeff for a, a very long time. And I got to tell the audience that I really think he's one of the best state executives I've ever met throughout my 35 years in the industry. And when, and when as he's talking, I want people to hear 
from a man that is one of the best at at a holistic approach. And so when he offers a, a critique, it's from a holistic perspective and he's not looking at the good old days and pointing fingers. It's about making the industry better. I really want to emphasize that because he's truly, I've met pretty much, I've met a lot of state execs in my career. Jeff's really, really good. And that's why I've, that holistic concept that he brings to the table without just putting, you know, putting his head in the ground like some people do is just awesome. I think we need more of that in the industry. So I just want to jump back on that one point. Um, Thank you for that, Chris. Well, you're welcome. It's it's well deserved. Um, you know that box underwriting is just it's it's just not Louisiana. It's all over. And for anybody that's ever been on a Zoom meeting with me or the Jeff and Paul, they can see me now that as we do these with audio or with video. I mean, you can see my background. That background is. A picture taken from the west side of my house, and it's all forest and mountains for people just listening. And it goes for miles and miles and miles of just all forest and mountains. And uh, so I thought I would have a little bit of fun and take my house out to get quoted for uh, with some carriers to see what I could get. And it goes on and on, and they ask all these questions. And you know, I live in a protection class ten, and they ask all these questions and do you do this and do you do that? And do you have this kind of protection? And do you have that kind of protection? And yeah. And then at the end they go, well, we can't write you because you're in a wildfire zone. It's like, yeah, you think you could have figured that out pretty quickly, right? It took about five minutes instead of wasting everyone's time. It's pretty obvious. And to Jeff's point, I think one of the things that's been taken away is the local, the underwriter that really has no clue whatsoever about what they're actually underwriting in that geography. They don't have any clue. And that that diminishes the value and it puts a big burden on agents. You know, one it, of the changes that has, to me, um, been most dramatic and to me makes very little sense you know, 20 or 30 years ago, when we were all doing paper applications and a field rep would have to go out to an agency and set them up and bring them underwriting manuals and paper applications and everything was manual. Um, insurance companies, even big national insurance companies had lots and lots of agents, including small agents in small towns. Well, you fast forward 20 years and now we're highly automated. Nobody, field reps don't go out in the field that often to talk to agents. Um, they have complete communications on the internet. Everything's on the computer. Insurance companies could very easily have a much broader spread of agents around the country, including smaller agents and in smaller towns. But instead, they made a decision years ago, well, we're only doing business with, with agencies that can give us a million dollars in volume or $5 million in volume. And then they all of a sudden said, well, wait a second, we're not getting enough flow of business. So they said, we got to figure out how to aggregate agents. And so they started, you know, planting with aggregators, which means they're now paying two or three or five extra points for the intermediary. And I'm like, wait a second, technology could have solved all of this. You could have direct appointments with small agents who know everybody in their community. You talk about underwriting. They know who's out at the bar room late on Saturday night and can underwrite that better than, you know, any box underwriting computer 
or a large brokerage house that has a centralized or a couple of centralized underwriting offices. And to me, that just has never made any sense as to why insurance companies can't use technology that, you know, the, the secret of the independent agency channel, 60% of our members are really small agencies. Mm-hmm. Oh, They're missing absolutely. the boot on that. For sure. For sure. And then the other thing I always uh, think about, you hit the nail on the head for the thing that's driven me nuts over over my career is to watch carriers you know, terminate agents because they're too small. It's going to cost us too much just as technology is coming in to drive those costs down. So they terminate the agent and then the agents right back with them, you know, in a matter of days often with an aggregator and they're just paying the guy more. So fantastic business idea. (laughs) And then, and then the other thing that's always uh, driven me nuts is the, when we're talking about box underwriting algorithms, things, absolutely those things have been beneficial in a way. But at the same time, I remember being in a meeting with some uh, product guys, some actuaries that came in and they said, you know, 10 years ago, we only had 15 rating factors. Well, today we have 150 rating factors. We're rating on all these different things. And, And they throw up a slide and it shows their loss ratio over the past 15 years. And as I'm looking at that loss ratio, I raise my hand and I said, well, guys, this is fantastic. We've got all these rating variables. It just looks like you have found more sophisticated ways to lose more money <laughs> because the loss ratio as they drew, put those into place, actually it increased. So sometimes bigger isn't always better. No, for sure. <laughs> Not at all. I'll, I'll share it. To Jeff's point on that and Paul's point on this, I gave a presentation a couple of weeks ago to a whole lot of carrier people, well over 100 carrier people. And what this is one of the subjects. And they said, um, well, how do we not? We can't afford to pay all these aggregators extra money now. And it's like, we out, well, go appoint all the small agencies again. And they're like, well, we can't do that. Well, guys, you've created your own problem. You really have. And this the solution isn't that hard. It's like Jeff said, these small town agencies know how they know their customers. I was in one the other day and someone says, Oh yeah, that couldn't be that couldn't happen because you know, if that happened, they'd get thrown out of their church. So that <laughs> there's no way. It's like, do you know everybody for everybody's church? Yes, we do. <laughs> it's pretty simple. You know, another way that, in my view, insurance companies have diminished themselves, and you you all talked about wildfire risk in the West, obviously, along the Gulf Coast, including Louisiana and the Atlantic Coast, where there's an awful lot of people that own an awful lot of property that needs an awful lot of insurance. Most of the major national insurance companies have said, well, we don't want catastrophe risk, and they keep shrinking their potential market. If you don't write anything in the West where you have wildfire risk and anything along the Atlantic and the Gulf Coast that has hurricane risk, you've, you've only got a very small part of the marketplace left. And now they're fighting each other like cats and dogs you know, for that business, which is going to make it tough to make a reasonable profit. So to me, the whole idea, as you all well know, as your listeners well know, we got to spread the risk. 
<laughs> if companies would all take a little bit of the risk, and, and this is underwriting 101, in the good old days, we put pins in the map where we were writing business. And if there were too many pins in part of the map, you stopped writing business there. <laughs> well, my gosh, we got such sophisticated computer models now. Why in the world can't we manage this risk? It just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, and Jeff, with that, Louisiana's obviously been hit by hurricanes for a while now, and the market has changed dramatically. I mean, what have what have your agents learned there in in how to deal with this as the the carriers that they're traditionally been working with have just withdrawn from the market in a lot of cases? Well, we've learned two lessons, and both of them are pretty tragic for independent insurance agents. The first lesson, speaking to what we just talked about, is that insurance companies have withdrawn from coastal markets to the point that um, there's very little market left in Louisiana, Florida, a number of other, you know, Atlantic and Gulf Coast states. All we have left are very small specialty coastal homeowners companies. And it's, it's crazy. Um, we're real proud this past year in Louisiana, we raised our minimum capital requirements from $3 million to start an insurance company to $10 million to start an insurance company. That's chump change if you're writing coastal homeowners insurance. And, and a lot of these small companies, and you know, we got them and we got to use them because it's the only market left in many instances. And, and I should give some kudos. There are a few companies that have hung in there. Um, Safeco is still writing business in Louisiana and some other Gulf states. Uh, ASI Progressive is writing a little business. Uh, State Farm and Allstate are writing, but that doesn't really help us too much. But it's literally a handful of carriers and the rest of the marketplace are going to these little companies. There were 11 of them that went insolvent in 2020 and 2021. That's not a good look for anybody in the industry. So Markets have really cratered. I cannot describe to you how bad our market is. Um, just as one measure, uh, Louisiana citizens, our residual property market before um, 2020, when we got those four storms, um, Laura, Delta, Zeta, and Ida had about 37,000 policies in it. There are over 125,000 policies now. There's no place for them to go. So the market is really cratered. But to me, the bigger lesson that we've learned, and I think we're the canary in the coal mine on this, um, those four storms in 2020 and 2021 generated over 800,000 claims, $25 billion in paid losses, and insurance companies were not equipped to handle that volume of claims. It took months for the first adjuster to get on, on the site to you take the first look at an adjustment. And look, I get it. It's, it's impossible for anybody to really be geared up to handle 800,000 claims in two years. But that's our job. That's what people buy insurance for. And to me, going back to the first thing that I talked about, used to be that there were plenty of insurance company offices all over the country, local offices in a bunch of different states. So when you had a crisis, whether it's a wildfire in Utah or Colorado or a hurricane in Louisiana or Florida or somewhere else, they could draw those people from all of those satellite offices to come in to handle some of the storm claims. Well, now they've outsourced almost 100% of the field adjusting to independent third-party adjusters. And they kind of dust off their hands and say, problem solved, we got a contract. 
The problem is that the independent third-party adjusters don't have hundreds or thousands of adjusters sitting around twiddling their thumbs, waiting to run to Colorado for a wildfire, Louisiana for a hurricane. And if you're an independent adjusting firm, you're going to sign all the contracts, all the companies you can get your hands on. Doesn't mean you have the capacity to handle it. So it was a nightmare with those claims trying to get adjusters in the field. It was not uncommon for a policyholder to have three, four, five, eight, 10, 12 different adjusters on their loss. And it's understandable if you think about it. If 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 you're a claims adjuster from Minnesota or Colorado and you come to Louisiana in August or September and it's 96 degrees and 96% humidity and the closest hotel room you can find is in Houston or Mobile. So you're driving in from Mobile and spending two days out of your truck trying to adjust claims. And then you go back to Mobile to get a good night's sleep and a shower. After a couple of weeks of that, you go on back to Minnesota or Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> so I really do feel like we're a little bit of the canary in the coal mine and the industry needs to address this problem. We have to be equipped to handle major catastrophes because with climate change, it's going to become more frequent, not less frequent. And Louisiana may have been the poster child in the last few years, but it's going to hit other places and sometimes places with denser population than what we have. And I just don't see the industry as really being ready to handle that. Well, I really appreciate that uh, insight. That's one of the things that Chris and I talk about often is a lot of the investment in the industry spent on the purchase of the policy rather than the, the delivery of the, the promise at the end to, to indemnify. Yeah. And that's just the perfect example of that. And it's that's a difficult, a I'm sorry, it's a difficult place for the agent because we're the ones that sell the promise. Mm -hmm. And if they don't deliver on the promise after a major catastrophe, it really puts us in a very, very difficult position. It really does. And, and this is happening in multiple areas. Earlier this week, McKinsey, consulting came out with a white paper that said if insurance companies don't step up and start providing the coverages that people really need instead of running away from the coverages people really need, that the industry will be obsolete. So it's it, we're seeing it in a lot of places, but not evidently at the carrier level. So. <laughs> And, and as an industry, right, we have a lot to do. But Jeff, what are, what are you seeing agents doing to deal with those, uh, with those challenges as these companies have evolved? As I mentioned earlier, the, the dirty little secret of the independent agency channel is a large majority of our members, despite mergers and acquisitions, are really pretty small businesses. And it's hard for those small businesses to compete in this marketplace, not just in Louisiana, anywhere. You're trying to do more and more with less and less, and it's a challenge. And that's one of the reasons for mergers and acquisitions. But I do think that agents can and must, and I think they will, uh, use technology to become a little more efficient in managing their processes. And, and ultimately, what we have to do as independent agents is reduce the amount of time and effort and money we spend on processing and processes and spend more time in consultative selling and managing the risk of our, our policyholders. That's the value that we bring that nobody can replace. Not 
direct sale insurance outlets, not exclusive agents for the most part. We are uniquely qualified, number one, to consult with the customer in a meaningful way, but just as important, number two, to have the multiple markets available to fit the coverages to the needs. And that's where we got to spend our time and effort and try to reduce the amount of time and effort that we're spending cranking out policies and processing paper and doing the the day-to-day administrative tasks that unfortunately insurance companies are pushing more and more onto agents. Sure. Well said. Absolutely. I appreciate that, Jeff. That's that's the value proposition of the independent agency force is to be able to help people buy the coverages before they need the coverages. 100%. So appreciate your time um, today. Paul? Yeah, absolutely. Jeff, thank you so much. And Chris, I always enjoy talking to you. This has been uh, very insightful. And and oftentimes there's things that you kind of know intuitively, but they're not in, in your conscience, consciousness. And when you talked about, hey, this catastrophe came along and the, the industry just wasn't ready to deliver and how that would impact agencies. And that can happen anywhere. And I'm sure some of the wildfires that happen, that same thing kind of has gone down there in Colorado, Chris, with, with all those uh, houses that burned. It, have been, it would be hard to get adjusters there. Your, your clients are looking for it. Did you do the right thing on the front end? As the yeah, agent? I, had, I had a conversation on Monday with a, a longtime friend from one of the mountain towns that had a, just a horrendous fire horrible fire and he was he was still complaining about the adjusters coming in and then the insurance company's interpretations and you're literally um in that town that town had a lot of um because independent agency companies wouldn't write insurance in that town for all the same reasons that jeff enumerated that they won't write south of i-10 uh just in the mountain areas so a couple of the direct riders wrote a bunch of the uh, majority of the homes up there. And these people a year later are still having to somehow or another generate inventories of their sock drawer. And there's, these are total losses. There's, there's in some cases, the foundations even been warped by the, you know, the heat of the concrete, uh, the fire has warped the concrete and just, or messed up the rebar inside the concrete. There's nothing left. And the adjuster is still literally insisting, you haven't given me a complete inventory of your sock drawer. And then also tell me where the socks new or worn. You know, <laughs> this is not. <laughs> Let's just go ahead and ruin our reputation in this industry a little bit more here. Oh. This, is a, this is a cut the check for the total and be done. Yeah. Penny wise and pound foolish. Very much so, absolutely. And and his house was at his house was not burned, but all the houses around him were burned. And even at that, he's just feeling the pain of everybody around him. And Jeff didn't go into it, but I know you've experienced it. Is there's when we do these things the wrong way in our industry, we create an emotional toil on people in a moment of real difficulty. And really, like Jeff is saying, I think we have an opportunity, if we do it right, 
and maybe go back in some ways to the ways just some of the old models. We have a way to actually make people's emotional lives better, not harder. And that's I, that's the promise we sell when we sell them an insurance policy. And you know the other thing, not to belabor the point, but I would argue strenuously that it is better business for insurance companies to pay claims on a timely basis and pay them not just fairly, but slightly generously. Because I will tell you, after the storms in 2020 and 2021, the four hurricanes and 800,000 claims, insurance companies were kind of nickel and diming policyholders the way you just described, Chris. And they ended up with massive amounts of litigation. And everybody in Louisiana, judges and juries and anyone that an insurance company is going to end up in front of in court is mad as hell and not going to take it anymore. And insurance companies got hammered in many cases, not only with exaggerated claim payments, but 50% bad faith penalties and 40% attorney's fees. Now you're paying double the amount of a legitimate claim and shame on you. Mm -hmm. If they paid them quickly and paid them fairly and stayed out of court, it would be better business, more profitable business for the insurance companies too. But I don't know. They seem to have this attitude that they're going to play hardball. And to me, not only does that ruin our reputation, as you described, but to me, it's just not good business. It isn't. Yeah. I don't know, Paul, was that pay quick or pay slow? One of those 150 rating uh, factors that you saw the actuaries present? <laughs> it was not. It was not. Should have been. We, we got to. They could have cut it down quite a bit. So. For all the listeners that are interested in just comments about paying fast or paying slow or paying nickel and diming, I encourage everyone to go and, and look it up on the Internet. It's out there. Um, can be difficult to find, but there is a, uh, a study in Bloomberg News or Bloomberg. I think it was Bloomberg News from, a, I guess, about 10 years ago now about insurance companies. Uh, claim practices along these lines. Very fascinating report. My guess is that what was written in that report is still current. And um, I think everybody would uh, get a good read um, and be able to probably, probably mitigate some of the problems with their customers after uh, reading it and understanding what might've happened there if that story is indeed correct. And then if you want more um, up-to-date information, there's a couple of uh, trial attorneys, plaintiff attorneys that have been updating that study about every two or three years with their own data that you can also find on the internet. And I'd encourage you to look at that. It's, um, it can be kind of depressing, but it also can give you some ideas how you can help your customers better. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for the, the conversation today. It was very insightful enlightening. Um, I've added a bunch of stuff to my list of things that I need to do and get prepared for. So thanks very much, Jeff. We appreciate you joining us. Glad to be with you guys. Thank you very much. Thank you, Paul. I look forward to seeing you in uh, a few days at the Keystone annual meeting. Absolutely. That'll be great. Yep. For anybody listening, join us next year. Um, but it's we have a good time there. Okay, and thanks everybody. I would definitely encourage that. A lot to a lot to learn and a lot of great folks to uh to talk with. And we appreciate you all taking the time to listen and we'll talk to you next time.